What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 1. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. 2. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. 3. You will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1 800 bets off in Iowa, and 1 800 270 7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code Just Baseball and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Series is set just as everybody expected. The Diamondbacks are headed to the World Series to play the Rangers. It's a just baseball show. We're going to break down an unbelievable game seven of the NLCS between the Diamondbacks and the Phillies. I'm Arm Layton. He's Peter Apple. Peter, I, I don't think anybody could have predicted this even even us as d-backs truthers is the beginning of the year in terms of the win total. I Vegas disrespected them on the win total. But we disrespected them in the playoffs, just as a lot of others did, too. We did not consider this as as something that could happen. We saw the possibility. We knew they would keep it competitive. But you and I, Jack, we all thought that the Phillies would end up winning. And I think all of America thought the Phillies would end up winning. And I think a portion of Diamondbacks fans (laughs) thought the Phillies had a good shot of winning. And before we press the record button, we were saying, well, we we were kind of on the Diamondbacks side. The biggest bet made by the Just Baseball team was the Diamondbacks over 74 and a half wins. We thought, oh, they'll be in the 80s for sure. They finished with 84 wins. Then they sweep the Brewers. Then they sweep the Dodgers. Then they go down to the Phillies in the bank. And we're all saying to ourselves, all right, the magic is kind of over, right? But then you go back to Arizona and they show so much fight 
And then 3-2 series lead for the Phillies. You get to the bank. Aaron Nola on the mound. The Phillies already had beaten up Kelly. This is where it ends. Nope. All right. Game seven. Ranger Suarez has a 0-9-6 ERA in the playoffs going up against a rookie. No way they win that game. And they did it. And that's why baseball is the best. It's wonderfully unpredictable. And th- that's what people have to like really lean into here in the postseason. And and that's why when we talk about all of the silliness with you know the rules and you know the, the the playoff format and whatever, it's so hard to be able to tell if a playoff format works or doesn't work because the sport's random by nature. And the Diamondbacks just are are evidence of that. But beyond that, you know, it's about getting right at the hot time or getting hot at the right time and then also pushing the right buttons. That Tori Lovello did an unbelievable job of pushing the right buttons. There were a couple of times where I'm like, ooh, that's what they're going to do here. And it seemed to work out. We're going to get into, you know, the intricacies of, of game seven and everything that went down as it ended up being a four to two victory for the Diamondbacks. But let's start with the team that's leaving. So then we can, you know, finish and heap more praise on on the Diamondbacks and really dive into it. I also have some notes. So a couple of the notes kind of pertain to the Phillies. On the positive side, Peter, you mentioned it, you know, right off the top. Ranger Suarez, yes, the line, you know, it will suggest that you know it'll bump his ERA a little bit. He went four and two thirds of three runs, no walk, six Ks. But this dude, man, he's nails when he's healthy. And, you know, he looked great most of this start. To me, he's like Framber Valdez in the postseason, but like the good Framber. Uh, <laughs> it's impressive that they were able to beat him because this is a guy that, you know, he was pretty unbeatable all year long uh, and or, sorry, all postseason long. And then we got to this game early going, looked like he was going to shove again. And eventually they wore him down and they got to him for three runs. Yeah, I took the under eight and a half in this game on BetMGM. And, and I wrote in my article basically explaining why I took the under. It was a lot of faith in Ranger Suarez thrown 14 innings this postseason going into this game, posting a 0-6-4 ERA. That included a five-inning shutout of Arizona at Chase Field. Now, again, before this start, 28 innings in the postseason, 0-9-4 ERA. And of course, he allows a first inning run. Of course he does. It's the playoffs. And... If you're not a fan of the playoff format, if you're not a fan of the unpredictability, go watch college football. Go watch Georgia and Michigan and whoever, the top (laughs) seeds. They win it all the time. This is not your sport. Arm and I, the reason that we're so excited and giddy is because of the unpredictability. The fact that an 84-win Diamondbacks team can make it to the World Series. The fact that they lost over 100 games a couple of years ago. The Rangers, too. That's what makes this sport so beautiful is that anything can happen. And exactly anything can happen. Ranger Suarez was an absolute stud in the postseason. Arguably better than Aaron Nola. He was tracking to look better than Zach Wheeler. Wheeler obviously has the stuff, but in terms of run prevention, Ranger was that guy. But the snakes are alive. Yeah. I mean, and even after that first inning, right, they squeezed that one out where it was like, okay, you got it on a fielder's choice. And then he cruised. He was cruising all the way through. And I was like, all right, they got their one. They better you know, keep this Phillies offense in check. And they do for the most part. Brandon Fott, we're going to talk about him because I had my my – 
reservations as to whether he could do it again. I thought he had, he looked great. And, and there's definitely a lot to build on. And and I think a lot of what we saw from Brandon fought as a prospect has been showing, but I figured, okay, he had anonymity on his side. They had never seen him before the Phillies. And, you know, now they're going to see him again, you know, really quickly on a quick turnaround. Maybe they'll have a better approach. Maybe they'll be a little bit more comfortable against him. They'll know what to expect. And for the most part, they weren't fought was great, but I also think this Phillies offense, I mean, we saw it clicking on all cylinders, right? I mean, it just seemed like we talked about from one to about eight, it seemed like just everybody could beat you. But then all of a sudden things slow down. And it's amazing how that that sense that you get from a team, from a lineup can change so quickly. Because now when I was looking at this Phillies lineup, it felt like once you got past Bryce and Stott, I know Rio Muto had some good spots too. And you can get to that back third of the lineup. Castellanos, like he fell off a cliff, man. And, and he was lost up there. I put out some stats. I mean, almost every fastball that was thrown his way was a strike in terms of he either took it for a strike, swung through it or chased. I think 85% of four seam fastballs he saw in this series resulted in a strike. And then, you know, piggybacking off of that Marsh was great, but then you've got Rojas. And it just felt like once you got to the back end of that, that, that lineup, it just wasn't nearly as scary they weren't holding up their end of the bargain. You weren't getting the just pure dominance at the top. And all of a sudden, this Phillies lineup got a little cold. Bryce Harper, Trey Turner. We're talking about the back half of the lineup. The front half has to produce. And they didn't, right? Bryce Before Harper eight. comes up in that big moment against Kevin Gickle. But I don't want to talk about that right now. I want to kind of work through the game, you know, as we normally do. But the Phillies going cold is exactly why they didn't win 100 games this season. And last season, they didn't either. While they're normally in the wildcard hunt. Now, it's hard to catch the Braves and in that division when they're winning 100 plus. But they're never really a 97, 98 win team. They're always deemed the underdog because in the regular season, this is what kills them. They look so hot there for three weeks, two weeks. They're hitting eight home runs a game. They're winning games 11 to two. The starting pitching looks amazing. The bullpen looks amazing. And you think to yourself, this Phillies team is the greatest team of all time. Then they go on that two, three week stretch where nobody really notices except Phillies fans when they're watching everybody strike out. And the pitching was good all year, but it's his offense. It was so hot and cold last postseason. That offense just didn't get cold until the end of the World Series. Now we saw this offense get cold in the NLCS. And that's the issue with the Phillies. They sacrifice discipline in a way that might be the wrong way to say it, but it's a lot of swing and miss and it's a lot of power. And when you aren't generating the power, what you get is the swing and miss. That's why the Diamondbacks were able to outlast them because their approach was so much better. They didn't need to hit the home run. They just needed to get a single, steal second, get a base runner, and that's exactly how they scored in the first inning, right? So the Phillies are the Phillies. Like You live and die by the power and the strikeout, and you see what happens. While the Diamondbacks, they didn't. Yeah. No, and I think that's an excellent point. You look at the way that this game breaks down, right? You get... Arizona with 11 hits, they turn that into four runs. The Phillies, five hits, they turn that into two runs. One for 10 with runners in scoring position as well. Uh, I mean, that that's a really tough way to win. You can put part of that on the fact that these 
Diamondbacks relievers have really been, you know, clicking as of late, especially Kevin Kinkle, who we're going to talk about. That was one of the best relief performances I've seen given the setting in a while. But to your point, it just felt like this this team couldn't string together hits over the last couple of games where it was okay, let's just hope Schwarber gets up with the tying run, you know, being the tying run at the plate, or Harper gets up as the tying run at the plate, which you got that one opportunity, but at that point it was against Ginkle, and that guy was dialed. No one was hitting him. But it just seemed like it was going to be so hard for a few of these guys in a row to string hits together, and that's the volatility of this lineup. And when they're clicking, as you mentioned, I mean, they'll boat race you, and they'll knock you out of a series real quick. Just ask the Atlanta Braves. They cool off a little bit. It's a testament to the Diamondbacks pitching. You know, I think Brandon Fott obviously uh, turned into a different pitcher, found something on the big stage, which is absolutely remarkable. And I'm bought in. Like, we'll talk about him. I think that they found their number three for next year. But to just kind of talk about this Phillies lineup as a whole before we go over to the Diamondbacks and also break down the game a little bit more. I don't think you can pin it on one guy. But I do feel like the disappearance of Nick Castellanos through this series was felt a little bit more because of how important he was in the last one, right? Like he, he was the hottest hitter on the planet alongside Bryce Harper. And I know Harper wasn't Harper in this one, but he still had pretty good numbers across the series and, you know, still was extremely feared and a guy that you have to work around. The problem with Cassianos when he's cold is you don't fear him at all. You throw a few pitches outside of the zone, he'll chase him and he'll get himself out. And that's exactly what it was, man, is this guy was just getting himself out. So it just felt like almost an automatic out in that lineup that really hurts you when, yeah, you have Marsh, but then you have another guy automatic out. When you're pinch hitting Christian Pache for for Johan Rojas, which I think is the most lateral move of all time, like (laughs) you're just trying to find something here who ultimately gets pinch hit for Jake Cave. Gritty walk, though, by Pache. Gritty walk. I will say that was a gritty walk by Pache. (laughs) <laughs> but like th- that's when you're really trying to find it. And again, it can't always be the guys at the top. And I think that's a big part of what's made the Diamondbacks so tough is one through nine over the last few games. They were all stepping up. They were all hitting. Here's my one thing. I agree that Nick Castellanos later in the series completely disappeared. I think we were looking at 0 for 20. But in the first couple of games, he did hit hit a couple of big home runs. While I think Cassianos was definitely a problem and he was the coldest bat for the latter part, Alec Bohm had 239 hitting fourth. Yeah. Bryson Stott had a 620 OPS, hit 239. JT had some big hits, 265. Cassianos, you're right, hit 213, and Johan Rojas was an auto out. Now Schwarber had some home runs. Hit 255. And remember, he's an OPS guy on base plus slugging. I understand he walks and he hits his home runs. So he was not the problem. But if those guys are middle of the pack and then Trey Turner and Bryce Harper go 0 for 8 in game 7, you're not going to win. So it's like, yes, Castellanos was definitely a problem. But if Castellanos went 2 for 4 with two singles in this game, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Yeah. I thought the Bohm cleanup thing was weird. Weird. And then I thought, then I kept thinking, then who they went deep today? I would put maybe Stott first, and then you put Schwarber fourth, but that's moving everything around. I don't know who they put fourth instead. And and it was working. So I think you got to stick with it and and have it work. But 
you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you got to ride it out. And I respect Thompson for doing that. I mean, a big reason why the Phillies have been successful is kind of letting them play. So I think sometimes you just got to boil it down to the bats went cold and, and, and that's ultimately what it was. Uh, and, and I do, I do think that this series kind of, you know, may have turned in game four because if they close it out and they hold the lead in game four, at that point, you know, it's, it's going to be real hard to climb back into this thing. But at that point, you know, you blow that game and then the rest of the way, yeah, they get game five, but then the Phillies just never really had a shot in game six. And then even in game seven here, yeah, they were, they were up, but then by the time you got to the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, it just seemed like they couldn't get anything going. Their backs were against the wall. So, I mean, you can pinpoint all these different things and different players, but you can also look back at Craig Kimbrough in game four and we're not here if, if the bullpen doesn't blow that game there. So there's a lot of different ways where you can lose a series, especially when it goes seven games. And uh, I think a lot of it has to go towards the praise of the Diamondbacks, who one, didn't fold, as you mentioned. Two, you they could have gone back to Arizona with their tail between their legs, as, as you mentioned, right? You got just beat up at the bank. You got outscored 15 to three, including a 10 to zero ball game in game two. And then you go out and get a gritty W, a 2-1 win in game three, and then another, the comeback that I just mentioned, a 6-5 victory, and then you lose one. And at that point, too, right, they lose the, the, the game five. Again, everyone's writing them off again because it's like, you're not winning two at the bank, and here we are. And I just think it's really amazing the way that they were able to do it. And in this game, man, you look up and down the lineup, felt like everybody played a part in it. Everybody played a part. Uh, you know how the Phillies, um, the city of Philadelphia got sent 558, I think, gallons or barrels of lube to put on the poles. What do you think they're going to do with all the lube? Yeah. Do, do they return it? Like, is I it just know. the world's largest return order there? That's, <laughs> Imagine how they're going to save it for the is. Eagles. Save it for the Eagles. Save it for the Eagles to lose in the Super Bowl again. Yeah, I was like, they're not using it for the Sixers. <laughs> sorry, so. I'm sorry, Philly. It's it's been rough. Yeah, we're piling it's been on. Rough. Yeah, we're not trying to pile on, but it is rough. I it mean, is a good point, though. The you- Super Bowl, the Sixers, the Phillies last year, the World Series, that this again. I mean, it's it's it, it's in one side of the aisle. It's like, well, at least we got there, right? We got yeah. to enjoy the playoffs, and then on the other side, it's like this is almost worse. It's like as a Yankee fan. I didn't, I didn't get my heart ripped out this year, which yeah. is, I don't know if that's better or worse. I, it is worse, but I feel okay right now. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you can, you can start processing earlier, but yeah, you and I feel great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I was playing with house money when the Phillies knocked the Marlins around. So it was fine by me. Um, <laughs> looking, looking at this D backs team though, man, cause we, we got to heap some praise. And I think there's a few different ways we can go here. Let's start with Corbin Carroll because this dude, and it's funny because people are going to look at the Diamondbacks, whether they win or lose the World Series, see the record and be like, oh, wow, how did that team get to the World Series? And then they're going to look at the roster, maybe eight, nine, ten years from now and be like, oh, wow, they had a young Corbin Carroll. They had a young Gabby Moreno. Oh, Brendan Fott was pitching that well at the, you know, in the playoffs out his rookie year. Oh, Marte was still in his prime. Like, I think people are going to like look back at this team much more fondly than you know, they're looking I, at it now, which is just like thought. a bunch of role players. I wrote that down. I wrote down in my Google Doc in 30 years, 
people are going to look back on this Diamondbacks roster and be like, whoa, look at all Seems the young, good. talented guys. Because that's why we bet on their overwind total. That's why we were so high on this team this year is they had so much good young talent. And if they put it together, they were going to be super electric and 74 and a half was too low. But we didn't think they would get to this point. No. But the young talent and the fact that it's maturing so quickly through yeah. all of these great series, beating up on teams who have all been here before, right? The Brewers seem to get in the first round every year. The Dodgers are World Series champions in 2020 are always here. The Phillies just made it the World Series last year. And I keep forgetting. I even wrote it down, Arm. I keep forgetting Corbin Carroll's a rookie. I yeah. just keep forgetting that. Which is the unbelievable part, right? And that's just a testament to him. And the, the thing is, though, is the maybe casual baseball fan doesn't forget that Corbin Carroll is a rookie. They're kind of still processing who that is. And the interesting part about it to me is you look at one, two, three in this lineup. Those are three all-stars. You know, what, three was all-stars. Gabby Moreno an all-star this year? No, but he was the best catcher in baseball over the second half and through the playoffs. And he's, you know, well, we're going to talk about it, but you know, he's arguably a top five catcher moving forward. Um, Name me five better. Name me five it's, better. It's JT. really hard. JT, maybe, but JT's golfing right now. Respectfully, <laughs> Phillies, JT's golfing right now. <laughs> Will Smith, Adley, Jonah Heim. You could put William Contreras in there. Who am I forgetting? Definitely JT, someone really important. Will Smith, Adley, William Contreras, Jonah Heim, and maybe you could argue William Contreras. Are we Let's forgetting someone important? Here. Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy. Sean yeah. Murphy is better. I mean, point is, he's an all-star caliber catcher and he's only going to get better. But it's this like perception that we have, right? Because he's not that yet. Like he hasn't done it yet long enough, but he's playing like that guy and he's going to be that guy. So he is that guy. (laughs) So you look at Marte, Carroll, Moreno, all-star, all-star, all-star level player, especially with the way Marte's playing, who, you know, as a postseason player, he's has a hit every single game that he's played. Was it 16 in a row now or 15 in a row? 16 in a row, a major league history record. The record for just longest postseason streak, which could tell Marte will have a chance to match in the World Series, is 17 set by Derek Jeter, Manny Ramirez, and Hank Bauer, who played with the Yankees in the 1950s. And this is to start a postseason career. This isn't Jeter or Manny or those 50s Yankees where you've already had a chance to dip your toes in. You already know what October is like. He did it from the jump. He is so freaking good. Yeah. And I think that what stands out the most to me is you have him looking like a beast from both sides of the plate. Um, and and then the, the left side is, is he's just a monster, but then Corbin Carroll, dude, this guy was, was getting beat up all series. I mean, they were the, the Phillies pitchers were executing their game plan with him really well. He was uncomfortable. Uh, there was a lot of left on left at bats. He was hitless against lefties in the series. And then Carroll picks up three hits left on left. And I think most importantly, I felt like the diamondbacks were the most diamondbacks in this game that they've been all playoffs, which was scrappy, just kind of finesse your way onto the bases, whether it's, you know, a bunt for hit or, or sneak a single and then stealing bags, being aggressive on the base paths, which we know the broadcast had been begging for, for, for games now, but you know, there's some merit to it. Like they, they were not really playing that aggressive, you know, nothing to lose young, fast baseball that got them here. 
And I felt like this game, they really did that. They were running all day. They were super aggressive. They were getting the extra 90. And I think that was a big reason why they were able to, to keep the pressure on the Phillies. And a big reason behind that was having Corbin Carroll, you know, being on base consistently. He hasn't been on base much of the series. And then having someone like Gabby Moreno, who handles the bat so well that you can send Moreno or you can send Carroll and you know that Moreno is either going to take take it or put a good swing on the ball and you can get him over to third. And I think that was a really key part of this. Those three guys at the top, it's going to be really hard to keep them quiet, even in the World Series. Absolutely. All of the Diamondbacks' four runs were either scored or driven in by Corbin Carroll. Second rookie in Major League history with three hits in a Game 7, joining only Dustin Pedroia. Corbin Carroll, man, I think I have more stats here about just how historic that was. I think he's the first guy to ever have three hits and two stolen bases in a game seven in major league history. Like he really had an all time game here. And he's a rookie. This guy, I, I can't say good enough things for him. I can't say good enough things because while he was struggling early on, right, we talked about it. He got pinch hit for when they were losing that game 10 to zero. And it wasn't for no reason. I think he's got a bum shoulder, right? I don't even think he's fully 100% doing yeah. all of this. It was either, I, I think it was either, yeah, let's let's make sure the shoulder's good, no reason to risk it, or like clear your head, kid, no need for another at-bat. Either or, that's like that's a crazy spot to be, and then also be doing what he's done, you know, down the stretch here. So, I mean, that part's remarkable. And then I got to shout out one other all-star. <laughs> Geraldo Perdomo, man. We've been joking about him because he's a beast. He's been huge for them. Back to back multi-hit games, uh, you know, going in, going into this one, which is crazy. And then another multi-hit game. So if I'm not mistaken, that was three multi-hit games in a row for Perdomo. Do I have that right? I'm pretty sure you do. I'm, I'm seeing one, two, three. So he does that. And that's on top of the fact that they're having him like sacrifice bunt. Like he's doing all the little things for them as well. And he stole a bag the other day. Like he's just kind of been doing all the little things, playing good defense. That's a guy that has been really tough to peg because he dominated in the re- the early part of the regular season. You know, parlays that into an All Star appearance, and then legitimately was terrible the rest of the way. I mean, they brought Lawler on the roster just in case. I think you know, just in case Perdomo was like brutal that they could maybe platoon him and put Lawler against lefties and see what happens. Lawler has been sitting, smiling, enjoying himself on the bench getting a nice experience here, just watching Perdomo play. I've just been so floored by how impressive he has been given how much he limped through the rest of the season and you know how high the stakes are for him. How about that they kept bringing in lefty relievers to face him because they're like, he can't keep hitting from the right side, can he? Look at the regular season numbers. It was the first time I saw Rob Thompson kind of be a nerd, right? He didn't go with the momentum. You're si- And that that's very unlike Rob Thompson. And that's what has been a perpetual winner for the Phillies is that Thompson has been a great manager of momentum. You're seeing this Geraldo Perdomo guy you keep putting in lefties against his right-handed swing, and he just keeps hitting everybody. When they brought in Jose Alvarado to face Geraldo Perdomo, I wrote down, and I feel bad for this one, this is one of the most lopsided matchups in playoff history. And the reason I wrote it down is Jose Alvarado, when he's 
teams down a couple of runs and needs to get outs is about to be throwing 175 miles an hour. And we saw him light up the radar gun with 101, 100 mile an hour sinkers. But Perdomo just says, fuck you, dude. I can hit anything right now and just slaps a single into left field. It's almost like Jordan, Geraldo Perdomo, you can't bring in left-handed relievers against them. Kind of. (laughs) Those two guys, I mean, they're cut from the same cloth. Those two guys, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they're, they're the same kind of guy. Well, only defense? one of them is playing in the World Series. So, how about, how about the defense from Perdomo? Yeah, every well, that, that's the only reason why he's here. Like, so good. He's he's he all star Geraldo Perdomo, all star Joe Mantiply. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get to him in a second. But the only reason Perdomo is even on this team is because of the glove. I mean, he wouldn't be getting big league shots like this, you know, and be getting this much this long of a leash if it wasn't for how good he is defensively. So the fact that he's hitting his weight and then some and actually now finished 278 on the series doing a bunch of other little things. Like, I mean, that that's absolutely remarkable man supply. Another all-star. Can I talk? Actually, we can go over man I just wanted to talk about one more hitter that when you look up his stats during the postseason or during this series, it's not electric, right? He's hitting 250 with a 703 OPS. Guriel. Lordy Scuriel Jr. I thought had a fantastic series. I thought he was always right in the middle of it. A couple of big home runs for him was obviously great in game seven, right? Went two for four, hit two balls over 95 miles an hour. I thought he was been, I thought he's been excellent at the plate the whole series. So it was weird to see those stats. Yeah. But I just wanted to shout him out because I felt that he was the player in this series where the stats aren't showing how valuable Lordy Scurriel Jr. was in this series. No, I'm with you. I thought his at bats were. Pretty comfortable. So he didn't strike yeah. out much. He drove no. in hand, uh, you know, several runs, had the home run uh, you know, the game before. He definitely, he's a guy that I feel like you feel real comfortable putting in the six hole. And, oh, yeah. and that's exactly what he's he's been for them. And picked up the slack because Longoria had looked pretty lost. So having him ahead of Longoria was great. And then even Alec Thomas, man, like he came up in big spots and you know, didn't get the start in this one. Uh, because you know they they didn't want to put him against the lefty, but in other spots in the series, it came up really big for them. Uh, so it just it was all hands on deck. And what's most amazing is, I if you told me that Christian Walker isn't going to slug and and really isn't going to hit much, and this offense is still going to produce enough and and ultimately beat the Phillies, I'd be floored. And that's the case, right? Walker is has been lost right now. He's slumping. And if Walker can get going in the World Series that's going to be a big jolt for them because they did this really without him. I know he drove in the run on the fielder's choice. That was um, if he hit it harder, it would have been a double play. <laughs> like it, it's pretty, pretty amazing that they were able to do this much damage and, and win out the series in, in seven with, without their big masher and Christian Walker. What's so special about hero bread, soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas. These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co. Yeah. I don't know where Walker's mind is at. Remember when he was facing Zach Wheeler and it was ball four and he didn't take his base because he didn't know the count. Yeah. Just seems like his mind is a little all over the place. I mean, this guy, he's not a playoff veteran while he's become a veteran in our league a lot of these guys their first opportunity in the playoffs and then you get hit with a slump when you're supposed to be the four hitter yeah right yeah i i still think that he is going to be good in the world series he's just too good of a player to be kept quiet for the entirety of the world series but he's got a hole these fastballs up 
Yeah. He's just not catching up. He is so in between. And then he tries to get on time early for him. And then he's away from the off speed. He's just completely in between right now. And it sucks to see because he was one of my favorite players on the Dimebacks in the regular oh, yeah. season deserves to hit fourth. But to his credit, he might be the best defensive first baseman in the league. I mean, how many times have I texted our group chat? Another scoop by Walker. Scoop he, master. <laughs> he's been firing me up on defense. So at least he's providing value there. That's why he is a good player, even at his worst. And whatever you could say whatever you want about first base defense. Every position defensively matters in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. He has been a lockdown first baseman. Yeah. No, I mean, dude, the scoops are 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 special. special. <laughs> it's some special scoops. But to talk about the pitching side of it, fought again, you know, it wasn't shut out this time, but now this is his third straight strong outing in the postseason, right? Four and a third shutty against the Dodgers, five and two thirds shutty against the Phillies with nine K's, no walks. Then again, against the Phillies, they get a second look at him, four innings, four hits, two runs, two walks, seven K's. And that was all they needed from him. And we'll get to the relievers and, and some of the usage and stuff like that there. But just again from Brandon Fott, 10 whiffs on the sweeper. And what stood out to me was he knew he had to change his look. He went a little bit more fastball heavy last time out and and definitely you know, was had hitters off balance with both the sinker and then the four-seamer. And he still used those pitches, but he went more sweeper heavy this time around, and they were just not ready for that. I mean, to have 10 whiffs. On, on 14 swings on that sweeper is unbelievable. Um, he just was locked in, and he threw 22 of them, by the way. 64 pitches, 22 sweepers. So totally changed the look and threw that more than any other pitch. I mean, this guy has to have all the confidence in the world rolling into the World Series. And honestly, no matter how that goes, has to have all the confidence in the world going into next season as and the D-backs have to feel pretty good about their number three now going into next year. Brandon fought in the regular season, 45% fastball usage, sweeper, 27%, changeup, 12, sinker, 9.9%. In this game, he was pretty much just utilizing his power sinker right through that as many times as four seam fastball and then up the changeup usage as well. Like this sinker was up almost a mile an hour from his average. I mean, he was topping out at 95 miles an hour with that sinker. I wrote down Fott's power sinker is working. Like, that's such a great pitch. And when you watch a start like Brandon Fott, like, it wasn't amazing, right? But he still punched out seven Phillies. When I watch him, I think to myself, this guy has more upside than even a Gallon or a Kelly. And I know that sounds crazy. But when I watch Fott, I feel like his stuff, is a little bit better than Gallon's. Gallon's command and just bravado on the mound. Like, I'm not saying he's a better pitcher. I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised if one of these seasons Fott has a better year than Gallon ever could. Fott's that guy. I don't think that's, I mean, dude, I ranked Brandon Fott the number 24 prospect in baseball. Um, so, you know, that that's, I, I, I'm with you on that in terms of I had his arsenal up there with, with, with anybody. And the interesting thing is I looked across the board and I'm like, those are all above average to, to borderline plus pitches. And it just didn't look that way this year for, for a lot of it. Zach Callen was an under the radar arm who became elite off of elite command. And then, you know, uptick in, in his fastball and then just having that elite command with the uptick in fastball 
that really made it a problem for hitters. And of and, course, and then whenever you get him at Chase Field, he's the greatest pitcher who's ever yeah. touched the baseball. Of course. But if it all clicks for Fod, I don't think that's crazy because you've got the two variations of the fastball. You've got the the sweeper that is dirty. You've got the changeup and even this taste breaking curveball. So many different looks he can give you if that command kind of gets to where it was in the minor leagues and where it has been of late. He gives you four. And at that point, you know, it, it was all hands on deck. What I thought was interesting was they use, and this is what, what I, I don't understand totally from Tori Lovello. And I know you got to use whoever you got. I mean, the Phillies had to use Kirkering a lot, who's nasty, but they've had to go to different guys in, in, in a lot of spots. But Mantiply, and, and this is my note here, I said, why Mantiply in lower leverage, in parentheses, fifth inning, and Sal Frank in higher leverage? And, and I think that's a well, really what do you mean. Sal Frank is one of the great relievers in Major League Baseball, apparently now. I mean, like, what are we going to say? <laughs> like, it's just crazy. Like, Sal Frank's a great, great story. And and I think he could be a really good reliever for them. Oh, he, he is. T- he's going to the World Series. He's yes. going to the World Series. He's a seventh that a guy. Like, he just is now. He keeps doing the job. He didn't. I mean, dude, he's walking a lot of guys. It doesn't matter. Grab ball got, outs. He got bailed out this time. I know. But. <laughs> I, I'm just shocked that they go man to fly for two outs. He throws six pitches. Then Thompson comes in, goes an inning and a third, by the way, in 10 pitches, which is absurd. See, he's so good. He's disgusting. I don't he's know. Disgusting. Just absurd release point. I don't know how anyone hits him. Then it's Sal Frank time. He walks a couple guys and I guarantee that they're going to use him a little bit more carefully here uh he might you know, close. in the world series you just got you just got you just graduated a little bit we're gonna buy it at the 92 sinker and the 84 curveball and i i just am amazed whenever i watch him i'm like i don't know how you're doing it but i'm having a blast watching it i'm like i'm getting nervous like it, yeah. and again like he could be a good i think i thought the, the fourth inning spot or the fifth inning spot was great for him but I, maybe he flip-flops with man supply that's my only thing however kevin ginkle Inning in two thirds, three punch outs. No one touches first. But the swings that this dude was getting on that slider, I that was one of the more dominating and just overall just overpowering postseason performances I've seen from a reliever in a little bit. We are not living on planet Earth. All seven billion of us are standing on top of. Kevin Ginkle's enormous nutsack. That man, that's a bad man. Like, just coming in in those situations, just dicing up great hitters. Great hitters. Trey Turner made him look like a fool. Bryce Harper, runners on first and second, 4-2. Everyone in America thought that that guy was going to hit the ball 750 feet. What does he do? Yeah, he hit the ball high in the air. It ain't far. Got under it. He has been so good in this series. Over nine innings pitched in the postseason. No earned runs. 11 punch outs or 12. I don't know. I didn't even count it up. I was just so excited watching him. He has been as dominant as possible in the biggest spots. And he pitched the day before, right? This wasn't Jose Alvarado coming in with a fresh arm, all the velo that he could muster. No, this was Kevin Ginkle who pitches every single game for the Diamondbacks and just never allows a run. The guy's nuts are the size of Jupiter arm, size of Jupiter. And he was adrenaline up. So his slider, he threw 12 of them. He got seven swings, six whiffs. 
<laughs> so seven swings, six whiffs on that slider. It was up a full tick, full mile per hour from what it normally is at. And it was up 137% or sorry, 137 like RPMs on, on, in terms of the spin Eating, rate. Unfortunately, check his ears. Yeah. Joe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I use just ripping them. Like just straight up ripping them. Um, Rip. And, and I, it was fun to watch. And then watching him walk off the mound just fired the hell up. So it was cool. absolutely awesome. And then Paul Seawald closes, closes it out as he has done, you know, just, for them since they traded for him. Just sidearm Mariano. What I mean, a move. Dude is move. just locked out. What a trade. What a trade. They're not, they're not here without Paul Seawald. And I, I just think it's amazing that when we were trying to figure out what should the D-backs do with the deadline, you know, they shouldn't really buy aggressively because they're building, you know, some a sustainable winner here. They kind of make this interesting move where they can get a reliever, you know, and and not give up too much because they have this log jam, but they still gave up some pretty good pieces. I thought that this was pretty much the difference maker for them because this bullpen was a little suspect. And now you have the Ginkle Seawald combination. You feel really good about that in the back end. And, you know, now with Thompson emerging, you feel like you if you get four or five and if you get six from your starter, you feel like you're in really, really good shape. Um the Diamondbacks have the recipe. I don't know if it's going to translate against the Rangers, but this recipe looks like it's working. And just um, speaking about trades for a second, our guys on the Marine Layer podcast, the Seattle Mariners podcast here on the Just Baseball Network, definitely go check that out, Mariners fans. Uh, they made a TikTok, and I totally forgot about the Cattell Marte trade. This was a banger of a deal. Mitch Haniger, Gene Segura, and J.P. Crawford go to the Mariners in exchange for Cattell Marte and Taiwan Walker. That's now, a crazy move. The usually Mariners there's at least side, two guys. And usually there's at least two guys that you're like, who's that? That's what I'm saying. Like, that was a banger. And the Mariners side accumulated more F war between Hanniger, Segura, and Crawford. But Cattell Marte was by far the most valuable player in that deal. The Diamondbacks sneakier making all these moves. The Paul yeah. Seawald, who they give up? Dominic Canzone? How about and Ryan Lordy, Bliss? How about Lordy Scurriel Jr. and Gabby Moreno for Dalton Varsho? You see all Blue Jays Twitter just erupting because they're like, here comes another Lordy Scurriel bomb or another Gabby Moreno bomb. And it, it's like these the trades that this front office has made. Incredible. Set themselves up for future success, current success. It's going to be a team to watch now. So that's why I don't get like, oh. You know, I don't want to watch the Diamondbacks. This is could be the beginning, and you're watching maybe the first year of a team who will be perpetually here. And you yeah. could say, yeah, I remember the Diamondbacks in 2023. That was Carroll's first year. That yeah. was Moreno's first year. And we're talking about him in 10 years, multiple times doing this thing. I'm yeah. so excited. And, and what's amazing about the trade, I mean, Hazen absolutely has just been cooking. Like Mike Hazen's been awesome. You have Seawald under control. For another year. So, I mean, they've got their closer for next year, too. They you might have to up. give them $100 million. <laughs> and You might. I mean, how also, much? How valuable is never allowing a run ever? Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty valuable. It's pretty valuable. What's what's also nuts, though, is he's going to hit free agency at age 35. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> a five-year sucks. deal. Get him until he's 40. But Who cares? The, he's throwing 92 anyway. Nobody could hit it. Yeah, and he might be able to do that forever. The full trade, by the way, was Ryan Bliss, who was a breakout prospect in the system. Should be a really good player for the Mariners. But at the end of the day, like that was found money. Dominic Canzone was not cracking that lineup. And Josh Rojas, who 
you know, I don't, I don't think that they're, they're going to lose sleep over that one. So I, I liked it for the Mariners in some ways, but ultimately this was a move that really pushed this Diamondbacks team over the top and, and is why they're going to be playing, you know, in this world series here, which we're going to preview and we're going to break down a ton. Are there any final thoughts you have on this game, on this series, uh, as we get geared up for what we'll be kind of preparing everybody for the world series on uh, subsequent episodes this week? Yeah. So we have Walker Bueller, Bueller coming on tomorrow. I think we're going to do a world series episode. We're also going to do a, just our overall awards episode MVP Cy Young rookie of the year. So stick around for that. The next two days are absolutely loaded. And then we have the world series. One thing I wanted to ask you about arm Rob Thompson. I didn't think managed this game very well. I did not understand why Thompson kept Ranger in the third time when you have Wheeler available and luckily they lost in game six. So they had a fully rested bullpen. I understand keeping Ranger in there to face Marte a third time, right? Cause he struck him out twice, but Carroll was two for two. That could have been Alvarado or you could have brought in Wheeler. I mean, Wheeler dominated Corbin Carroll this series. They kept Ranger in for a while and I get it. He has been a stud in the playoffs, but when it's tied like that and you've got a guy who's two for two, obviously now swinging the ball well. And it's not like Carroll, you know, it's 350 against righties and 230 against lefties. He hit 286 and then like 289, like his splits were non-existent. Yeah. I didn't understand why they didn't go to Wheeler and then Carroll gets the base hit. And then now it's three, two and the Phillies never scored again. So I just. And for a guy like Rob Thompson, who has proved to be aggressive with these moves, has always tries to play the matchups. He just was like, yeah, we'll keep Ranger in there. And it wasn't right. We weren't sitting here at the point where Ranger was sitting on five scoreless. No, he had given up a couple of runs. He didn't look amazing at that point. So I really did not understand that move from Thompson at all. Yeah, it's interesting. It also was, you know, the most pitches he he had thrown uh, in this postseason. He was stretched out more at the end of the regular season, but you know, he had not broken past the the sixty nine pitch mark. It's, that's the highest we saw him back to back times, and he throws seventy five in this one. And I, I do think it's interesting that Carroll looked comfortable uh, in those first two at bats. And it, you bring in an Alvarado, does he look as comfortable? Probably not. But then that's one of your lefties in the bullpen that you have. So you're bringing in Wheeler anyway. Like you're why bringing in Wheeler, Wheeler and you're hoping Wheeler can give you two. Of course uh, he would. He did then. Like then he's got, also amazing. Strom's the last lefty you have, right? I, unless I'm forgetting yeah. somebody. So that I guess they wanted to have one last, you know, an extra lefty in the chamber. But to your point, it doesn't matter if you're losing by yeah. another run. And, um, and you want another lefty in the, ch- in the, ch- for who the whole lineup is right-handed. You got Cattell Marte switching the right side. You got Geraldo Perdomo switching the right side. Emmanuel Rivera is in for Alec Thomas. So you just got to keep lefties in the pipe for a guy who doesn't have lefty righty splits. I didn't get it at all. Yeah, I guess the 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 devil's advocate would be because I'm with you. I, I think you could probably have pulled Ranger there. Is he's kind of earned the right to to stay in there, and that's the thing with Rob, right? Is Rob? Thompson's but the thing is, they. But Arm, they made it a point. Were you hearing on the broadcast that Thompson had said that once he comes back around to Carroll, that's going to be the exit point? And he just didn't do that. And then Carroll went three for three against him. So like you knew that was going to be the point. And then Carroll was hitting him. It gave you all the reasons then to go the Wheeler. 
And it's not like, well, then Wheeler got crushed, so it didn't. Wheeler shoved. Yeah, Wheeler shoved. You bring Wheeler in this game, it's it might have been a different game. Yeah, I, I I think it was him just having this like second second guess trust almost. So that's an oxymoron, but like this this wave of trust in a guy that had a sub one ERA in the postseason entering this start. Uh, but. Yeah, I think they needed to change the looks there with how locked in Carroll looked. And it was that bats were were very comfortable against him. And yeah, that could have been the spot to go to Wheeler and and, and just bridge the gap to the rest of the bullpen. Ultimately, they don't. I, I'm interested to see what he says about that. And it's yeah. it's also fascinating because they knew that they could go, you know, one plus with Hoffman. Uh, so if you knew you could go one plus with Hoffman, you feel like you can kind of get to the promised land there. And Strom ends up only throwing two thirds of an inning. He could have went more. So yeah, I wonder if if Thompson's second guessing that, or if maybe they changed their mind. I think it's interesting if that was the plan that they had to to deviate from it, though. Especially when Corbin looked comfortable. If Corbin was over two, then I could understand deviating from the plan. Could agree more. Like that's why I said, Cattell Marte killed him in game one, but in that game, Rangers struck him out twice. So I was like, I get leaving him in for Marte, but then Carroll again. Like, what are we what are we doing here? I, I was just. And the reason I'm so surprised right now is I think Rob Thompson is one of the best managers in Major League Baseball, especially in those moments. He's proven to always push the right buttons. And Phillies fans might bring up sometimes where he didn't. But of course, Every all manager, managers make yeah. mistakes, but he makes less mistakes than more managers. And that's why you're perpetually in game sevens of LCSs or game six of World Series when he's been at the helm. So that's why I was so shocked. I was like, I think I just witnessed like your first big blunder. Yeah. Well, and, and then that's they, in respect to him because yeah. he's been so good. So that's why I was so surprised. And then they go to Hoffman and then Moreno singles off of him. So, um, yeah, I, th- I thought that would have been a good spot for Wheeler, but I, I don't know what their plan was with him and, and where he wanted to come in and whatever, whatever the, the situation was there. But I think Wheeler on an expected piggyback probably would have made some sense for whatever reason. They don't play it that way. Maybe they only wanted to go to Wheeler if they really needed to. Maybe they were hoping to be up. But at that point, I thought it was kind of clear that they weren't going to be up, you know, and and at least it was going to be tied at best or at least playing behind by one. So, yeah, it's I'm I'm excited to see if he says anything about that and if they ask him questions. But at the end of the day, hard to win when you score two. And the Phillies, like from that point on, it, it I haven't seen a game where you feel like the Phillies are out of it when they're down by two. And it felt like that through seven, eight, nine, especially after that Harper, after that Harper out really felt like that in the eighth and ninth inning. And that was an unfamiliar feeling. And with all the decisions, Phillies coming up short, just like Kanye says, I guess we'll never know. Yeah. Congrats to the freaking Arizona Diamondbacks snakes alive. You're going to the world series. I cannot wait to watch this. It is Power from the Texas Rangers, speed and defense, clashing different kinds of baseball together. Seven games. Texas Rangers are going to have home field advantage. This is going to be awesome. We're going to do a World Series preview with Dodgers right-hander Walker Bueller. And then the next episode, we're going to do our MVPs, Cy Young's, Rookie of the Year's. We're going to make some niche awards that we can't wait to do. And then we're going to recap and preview every game of the World Series. And then we have a full offseason plan. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. If you have enjoyed these episodes, 
greatly, greatly appreciate you leaving five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you could leave a written review, we'd really greatly appreciate it. Aaron, before we say goodbye, you got anything else? That's it. Pump for the World Series, man. Uh, and, and looking forward to hopefully another another seven games. We'll see what we got. And with that, thank you, everybody. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.